Welcome to episode 177 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. We're calling this the Freezer, or no, the Friar to the Freezer edition. That's what I put on this. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky in this podcast. Is there anyone else who likes going out under the stars? So in this episode, we'll talk about how to observe in cold weather. But first, Shane, what has surprised you while we've been doing the podcast so far? 177 episodes. Um, that's a good question. Maybe the level of engagement from, uh, people that listen to it. You know, we do get a lot of emails, which is awesome. I love, I love reading them. I like uh, having the conversations. Um, that's one and yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Um, just, cool. uh, just the listeners, you know, I, I, maybe even, yeah, just the, the fact that we're still doing this maybe is another surprise. Yeah. That, that's what surprised me too, that we've, we've already recorded 176 episodes. That's, that's the, the most surprising thing I think to me. Yeah. And, uh, and also that, uh, that people write such great detailed emails about their observations that really surprised me. Like, again, we were shocked how many people sent us their observations of Ceres and other minor planets and their comet observations. And if we, if we say we're observing something, we'll hear from other people who, who observe it or, or then go out and observe it. Or sometimes people will send us an email saying, hey, this is happening. Um, this would be a great thing to raise in the podcast so people know to go out and observe it. Um, that's also uh, really appreciated. Um, the other thing, so the other thing that really surprised me in doing the podcast is how interested people are in our cold weather exploits and observing. <laughs> that really surprised me. I don't know about you, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess it's just one of those things when, when wherever you live, what, what your kind of current surroundings are, you just take it for granted and, and you adapt to it and it just becomes normal. And, you know, I think that's probably what I did with our, our weather around here. It's, it's normal to me. It's not, you know, it's not noteworthy, but it is very different than what some other people experience. So it's probably, uh, <laughs> it's probably a little interest, a little more interesting to them than it is to you and I sometimes. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, uh, adjusting my microphone. The cord got all you know, turned around here. Um, but yeah, you know, I was really surprised that often when we, we do hear from, from people, um, they're saying, you know, well, it's cold here, but not as cold as what you guys have, or how do you like, what would you suggest for, you know, this kind of cold and what would you suggest for that kind of cold? And I was like thinking, huh. And then we had an email from chef Ozzy and he was asking about, um, sort of how to prepare for the cold where he is, which is sort of in the sort of central, maybe just sort of South of central Eastern seaboard, um, which would have a very different kind of cold, you know, for, for him than what we experience here in it. And it's all relative. And I, and we're going to read his email here in a second, but I go back to the fact that, that I'm from the East coast as well. I'm, I'm from Eastern Canada. And for those that listen and think I have a funny accent or something, that's why. Um, but anyway, um, you know, after living out here for a number of years and really kind of uh, hardening up to the cold that, that we have, I've gone back uh, from time to time, both in the winter and summer, spring, um, different seasons and done some astronomy there on my own. And I noticed that like the cold there doesn't nearly bother me as much as, as it used to, um, because I've, I've not only adapted like, you know, physiologically, I think to the cold that we have here in Saskatchewan, um, the prairies in Canada in general, but also, um, 
like my, my gear and the way that I operate in the cold has changed and kind of sort of hardened me up to, uh, to being able to observe. So for example, um, I used to get pretty cold kind of by sort of that midnight 1am kind of time period. And that was pretty common both for myself and anybody else I'd be observing with. Um, and I remember probably about six or seven years ago, I went back to the star party um, that I, that I, you know, you know, used to work on in, in Nova Scotia. And I remember people kind of complaining about the cold and going to bed. And I was like, Oh, like I was not cold at all. And everybody else that I used to observe with was, uh, was quite cold. And I was really surprised. I was, I was, uh, totally comfortable and thinking this was actually a fairly warm and pleasant evening compared to, uh, even what we get in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like you said, it, it, it's about, kind of what you get used to. And I think there's even another aspect to that. And a little bit of it is uh, like, it's psychological too. Like your, your mental approach to the cold, um, you, you know, you do a lot of things to, um, you know, make sure that you are comfortable to a certain degree. But I think part of it is, is admitting or signing up for the fact that you will have some discomfort and that will be part of the experience. And, and uh, hopefully it's just not too much discomfort and hopefully it doesn't last too long. Yeah. And there's a lot of little things that, that I've learned and, and often, you know, and kind of each year I kind of relearn some of them. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm, I'm usually okay. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about those and I think that will be helpful, but um, this kind of uh, is an idea that solidified after we got this, this email from uh, chef Ozzy and he is uh is is a person who runs his own restaurant in like i said in the eastern seaboard and um he uh, he was asking about um observing and in colder weather so shane do you want to read his his email here and then we'll kind of get on to it sure so uh hey guys <clears throat> long time listener first time writing i absolutely love the show uh, always listen to you two at work and i've learned so much from you guys in the one and a half years of telescope observing uh, and then in brackets, long time gazer, uh, newbie at the scope. Uh, thank you so much for reading this. Uh, I have a few questions for you. First, uh, as I was outside the other night, I kept seeing what I thought were clouds. However, looking closer at my eyepiece, I noticed it was the problem. Uh, it was about uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit and the humidity was around 60-ish. Uh, mm -hmm. And every time I put my eye within two inches of the eyepiece, uh, it would fog up. Uh, so on the frustration level with 10 being, uh, R, uh, it was a, a 10 to the 40th power. So my question is, how do you stop this from happening? And really it's just like, uh, do removal systems. Uh, you, you need to get a little bit of heat on the glass so that it warms up to just right around that, uh, that dew point or just above it. Um, and then you won't experience those issues. And there's a whole bunch of solutions out there, which I don't think we really want to get into right now. Um, so his second question, uh, if you guys already did a show, I'll go back, uh, and give a listen. If not, could you please do a show on cold weather observing? Uh, I live down here in the mid Atlantic. Um, I figure with you guys living in the great white North, you certainly have the experience to speak on the issue. Uh, for example, uh, what type of gloves to wear that keeps your hands warm, uh, but able to use, uh, the scope without being bulky. Um, standing still at the scope and not becoming a permanent fixture to the environment and <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, let's break this down to cold dew in summer and cold frost in the winter. Uh, Monday morning, I plan to be out observing the comet. The forecast here 
Oh, hold it here. Uh, that must be your notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be minus 32 no. on the Eastern keyboard this week. No. So, yeah. Sorry, I should have put a break in. I think uh, I've run my sentences together. So that's yeah. my fault. Um, okay. No worries. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. Yes. Yeah, so Monday morning, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about going observing now with the snow. I gotta. I might have to adjust my plan because um, if if it drifts where I go and they don't maintain the roads, then uh, well, that that can spell uh, no observing, unfortunately. So I need to need to kind of figure things out when the snow stops here. Um, but it's supposed to be pretty cold, and so just some general prep to start. But what I liked about uh, Chef Ozzy's email is that. Uh, he asked us to break it down into cold and dew in summer and cold and frost in winter. So, so although in general, we've talked about our cold weather observing, what is cold to us in the winter um, might be something that uh, lots of people just never experience. And I think that's kind of like the novelty of what people uh, enjoy about listening to that. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But then I think because of that and kind of reflecting back to my other experiences when I lived out east, um, you know, what I take from here when I go back there, like Shane was saying, really kind of helps bring you along and uh, you're able to better uh, deal with the uh, with the cold weather experience that is a cold weather experience for you. Okay. So that's kind of our context, which I like. Thought, yeah, Shane? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a cool way to approach it for sure. So I kind of have a little bit of a standard prep. And uh, maybe you have some, some things to add to this, but my standard prep is to have some water. That's key. A snack. Usually I take like an energy bar of some sort, like not like a real junky energy bar, but like um, something with some nutrition, like sort of like a fruit and nut bar kind of thing. And I know like fruit and stuff like that, not, maybe not the way they put them together, not like you know, health food, but something that's just not like a Twix bar or some other kind of candy bar or something like that, you know, um, cell phone, uh, full gas tank and, uh, some extra clothes, maybe an emergency blanket, something like that. And then, um, be sure to let someone know where you're going to be exactly like, not just like, Oh, I'm going to go down the roads on such and such a side of the city. But, but you really need to, to let somebody know exactly where you're going to be. And so, for example, where my site is nearby here, which is uh, on the edge of the city, you think, well, how bad can it be out there? Well, um, if, if, I, if I get stuck or something like that, although, yeah, it's only 10 or 15 minutes away, I'm on these roads that basically probably can go for days or maybe some weeks without anybody actually traveling down. So uh, you, you could be into, uh, into, into some trouble there. So I try to make sure that um, like my wife anyway, or maybe like Shane or, or Mike or other people I observe, but know exactly where these locations are so that, um, you know, people know where, where I'm going to be at. So in this case, I've actually taken my wife out to these spots and made sure that she knows how to get to them. Um, so that if, if, uh, if I get into a bad spot, she can actually drive out and, uh, and, and pick me up or whatever. But at the same time, um, I know that, that if I go out like at five o'clock in the morning and I, and I call her, uh, she's probably not going to get that message till like seven o'clock. And so, you know, I got to be prepared to kind of wait it out a few hours. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good advice. Um, one thing I like to do too is, um, uh, like make sure you're well hydrated and make sure you're well fed. Um, mm. you know, if you go out observing and, and either one of those aren't checked, 
um, you're just going to get colder faster. Um, yeah. you know, well-rested is another one too. Like most people, when they get tired, their body, um, you know, uh, temperature changes, right. And, and you'll feel the cold a lot more. Um, so those, those three things rested, fed, watered, um, are pretty important for me, uh, when I'm going out and, and, you know, all of my approaches, I guess I don't really have like a, like a set way of doing this every single time. Cause a lot of it has to do too, with where I'm going and what my observing, you know, is all about. Um, if I'm in the backyard, I certainly don't have to, you know, be quite as prepared or, or bundle up quite as much because I can just come inside and warm up very easily. Um, however, you know, if we are observing on the side of a road somewhere, that's, that's a little bit different. And, uh, you know, so anyway, we'll get into some of these nuances here. Yeah. Maybe I'll just say this. So, um, like I mentioned it a little bit, you mentioned a little bit more about staying hydrated. So let's just talk about this. I think this is actually one of the key ingredients to staying warm. And because our environment here is so extreme, you learn this lesson. Like we're kind of just tossing it out there, but I think this is probably one of the number one ways to stay warm. Um, when you're going observing almost, almost as important as what you're wearing, it's right up there with it. So when I first moved out here, you know, like I would sometimes take water or something to drink with me. If I was going observing, it was sort of like, if I was doing a short session, I really, really wouldn't worry about it. And it just doesn't get cold as cold rum from. So I never really noticed this before, but when I came out here and started observing, even in the summer, because we have very hot days, but very cold nights. So it can be plus 40 degrees during the day and it can be close to zero or freezing uh, at night, 32 uh, Fahrenheit. Um, it, it's almost like a desert like environment. And what happens is that the cells in your body, if they're depleted of moisture, they're not able to expand and contract as efficiently. And as a result of that, sort of to boil it down into the simplest uh, terms, um, it causes you to actually be colder and feel colder and not be able to warm yourself up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort for sure. It's uh, <laughs> if you read, uh, you know, anything on about, you know, cold weather, skiing, hiking, like any cold weather um, activities, uh, hydration is, is key. Yeah. So, so that is a really, a really big thing. The other thing is um, alcohol uh, can make you feel colder, of course, because it raises um, your blood to the surface. And, and then when your kind of blood gets towards the surface, like everybody's familiar with, um, you know, either having a few drinks or seeing somebody who hasn't seen, they, they get a bit flushed or whatever. But what happens, of course, is as that blood rises to the surface, it cools your blood faster. So, uh, so drinking alcohol can certainly uh, impede that. And also drinking alcohol uh, over time can, can impede your ability to stay cool in that. And uh, now, now I'm somebody who, who does en- enjoy the odd beer or, or whatever, a glass of wine. But, um, you know, I do drink in, in sort of extreme moderation. So like right now, probably like I can't can remember the last time I had a drink of alcohol and I actually have no problem at all. Once I stay hydrated and I'm going out, um, I'm having no problem keeping warm. But if I um, am not taking care of my hydration and have a like a, you know, even just like a drink with dinner and I've been typically maybe at, during periods of time in my life had have had like a couple drinks on the weekend or whatever, like during the day you know, have dinner at night and then like a few hours later go observing, like on those nights, um, I definitely feel cold and more tired and, you know, not enjoy the experience as much. So kind of putting that out as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So summer cold. So what we're calling summer cold, this might, 
<laughs> might be your winter cold. Like if you're in, uh, I know we have listeners in Florida, we have listeners in other parts of the world that that might not experience um, these sort of temperatures even, or, or this might be only as cold as it ever gets on your coldest night of the year. Um, typically, even on our warmest nights of the year where we are, we're talking about a low of about 10 degrees Celsius would be pretty typical for a nice clear night. And perhaps even as low as zero degrees Celsius. I've seen frost on every single um, week of every single night of the year, at the very least, even throughout the uh, the May through October time period. Um, we've seen frost in the grasslands right in the absolute dog days of summer kind of period of time. I know I've seen it, Shane. I know you've seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, I guess it can happen. I would say though, for the most part, like our overnight lows in the summer are 10 and even sometimes yeah. up to 20 because it gets pretty hot, but occasionally, uh, you know, it will dip down, but um, yeah, you know, a, a 10 degree Celsius to zero degree uh, Celsius range, um, you know, for that type of temperature, I'm probably just wearing my, for the most part, again, it depends where I am, but um, if I'm, I guess in the grasslands, I'm probably wearing uh, well, let me back this up. Um, what I've said before many times is when I plan to observe, I dress for 20 degrees Celsius cooler than yeah. what the overnight low is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so in this case, I would think about if I was going for a walk on a negative 20 degree day, because you know that's 20 degrees cooler than zero, um, what would I wear? So yeah. I would wear winter boots. I would wear uh, ski pants or like pants that are, you know, insulated um, over top of jeans or, you know, fleece pants or something like that, potentially. Um, I'm wearing uh, like a fleece shirt, uh, maybe, um, maybe like some insulating underwear, or like shirt as well underneath that. And then I'm wearing my winter jacket. Um, one thing that I really like for cold weather is, um, I don't know what the heck they're called, but it's like this fleece thing you slide over your head and it's like a neck warmer. And, um, I really need to make sure my neck is warm or else the rest of me gets pretty cold. So I'll put one of those on, uh, and then a toque and, um, you know, some, uh, some gloves, although kind of the interesting thing at this temperature, the gloves are probably less important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, the, my core temperature is what I have to maintain, but at, at these temperatures, you know, say 10 to zero, um, I, you know, I'm not too worried about my hands. Now, I guess I'm speaking more at the zero degree side. If it's 10 degrees out, um, I'm just in jeans and, a, a you know, an insulated jacket and maybe a toque, um, you know, but that would be about it. Yeah. We're not wearing shorts and t-shirts basically. And, and we do see people who, who come out to our observing, uh, public observing sessions that we have and, and they're really dressed for the, uh, you know, kind of the, the daytime activities that they've come to enjoy. And often people might have just thrown in a sweater and hardly even, maybe even not even brought a pair of, um, long pants because a lot of the time, um, people don't realize how cold it gets at night. So like if you're just around camp and you're staying warm and you're eating, and then, you know, a few hours after you eat, you're, you're around the campfire and whatever, and then, um, you go and get in your tent and you go to bed that the tent is still reasonably warm. You're still reasonably warm. You go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you have a good night's sleep. Um, but for those of us that stay up all night or stay up most of the night, um, growth in, in the temperature does start to drop and it can be pretty surprising how cold it can get at night, even in the summer. And then that's when you start to, uh, to really cool down. And once you're cool, once you're, once you've cooled down too far, and then you go and get in that tent, which is also cooled down too far, 
um, you can get uh, you can get pretty cold. But yeah, sort of just for reference, 10C to 0C that we're talking about here, um, that would be um, 50 Fahrenheit to about 32 Fahrenheit. And let's see, let's talk about the dew point for a second. So, uh, Chef, as you mentioned, you know, like kind of what about what about dew? So warmer air can hold more moisture than colder air. OK, so the dew point is the temperature uh, where the air must be cooled to become saturated with water vapor. So what often happens uh, at, at night, of course, is that the air is is cooling down. Um, but it's also still warm enough to hold a lot of moisture. So sort of fortunately where, where we are, Shane, what happens is we pass through that dew point and often um, that moisture will either precipitate out or it just kind of seems to uh, sort of uh, go away. You know, often, often we'll get some, some dew on the grass, but just a little bit. And we tend to have very dry conditions anyway, even during the day, it's so dry that even if we get a reasonably dewy evening, unless it just rained, um, typically it's it's very, very light dew. Like if you ran your hand through the grass, which you would not do here, uh, you would do it where I'm from, but, but here that's not suggested, um, you would be able to feel some moisture, but your hand wouldn't be soaked, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, you'd feel some moisture. Some nights are worse than others too, um, yeah. uh, but it's not uncommon in the morning to walk through grass and have your shoes fairly wet. Yeah, but it doesn't really get that wet here. So, you know, Nova Scotia, I'm always so surprised when I go back home. And I remember I was there one of the last times I was there in the summer, the last time I was there in the summer, it was uh, seven o'clock in the evening, sort of late, late summer, I think, uh, or maybe it was June. I think it was June. And um, it, the sun was still up. And I remember walking through the grass and the grass was my, my, my socks were soaked by the time I got to the other side of our lawn and it's just our lawn. It's not like I was walking through some sort of field. It just hadn't been mowed in a few days. And, um, it was absolutely soaked because in those conditions right on the ocean, you know, um, you're dealing, you're just going to be dealing with higher levels of humidity. So in order to deal with those higher levels of humidity, you need to be, um, on top of uh, your capping. And so to deal with, with dew, one of the best things to do is to only take the caps off your telescope when you're actually looking through it. So um, there's, a, there's a few ways to do this. So you might have just regular caps and that's fine. You can just like, you don't have to like seal them right on, but just kind of put them on a little bit stung just so they're not going to fall off. Maybe you go back to your charts, you come back to the scope and you pull them off. You observe, you can get what are called dew heaters, um, and they work, they work. Okay. The other thing you can do is, you know, oftentimes, um, well, what's happening to cause the dew is that the, the temperature of the telescope is becoming, uh, equalized with the outdoor temperature and that, um, that outdoor air at that temperature is holding a lot of moisture. So once your telescope reaches that point, your telescope is also going to hold a lot of moisture, unfortunately. So, so that's the process that you're trying to, uh, limit. So one way to limit that is to put what's called a dew shield on the telescope. And this allows for a bubble of air to be formed in front of, say, like in a refractor, like your lens. Reflectors are less subject to this, um, but they have their own way of dealing with this. So if you, you can buy these, you can make your own out of like a, like a camping pad or, you know, you can do other things to make, to make a dew shield. But what it does is it just extends 
basically the dew shield of your refractor or your Schmidt-Cassegrain or you know whatever kind of lens system you're using um, to keep a bubble of air. You can look it up. There's actually a formula. You actually have to, I forget what it is. It's like maybe like five times the diameter of your lens. It must be something like that. Cause I think my dew shield went out like 25 or 30 inches on my five inch refractor when I used to live in, uh, in more dewy, uh, dewy conditions. The other thing you can do, this is, this is sort of a neat trick I picked up is you can take like a, if you're a refractor, you can take like an old t-shirt and between your observations, just pull sort of parts of the t-shirt over the ends of the telescope to kind of drape over it. And that will uh, also help to, to keep the telescope insulated. So it, it retains some of that warmth. And then uh, also, uh, you know, it kind of hangs over the parts that you don't want to, to have the dew kind of falling onto as it's sort of precipitating uh, out of the air. So do you have anything to add to the Shane and you've owned reflectors before, maybe with fans or something like that. Do you want to talk about that uh, briefly? Well, yeah. Um, I've really only been dewed out a couple of times. Um, so to be truthful, I really haven't done anything <laughs> to uh, counter it. Um, you know, I've You're had so dew shields on some of my other telescopes that I've just never used. Um, the fans will help, uh, like the, the fans on like the Dobsonians are more so to acclimatize the mirror, uh, yeah. to the surrounding temperatures. They will help a little bit if they're creating some air movement, uh, help a little bit with dew, but I don't think they're really going to, uh, do a lot to limit, uh, you know, dew forming on the primary. Um, and, and, you know, if you have dew forming on the primary, there's a good chance it's forming on the secondary anyway. So, yeah. um, Really, uh, you're back to um, using some sort of heating uh, solution to solve that. And really, even that probably has a limiting time span. Like if the dew's coming, you you know, in my opinion, it's it's uh, try to mitigate it for as long as you can. But really, you're you, you've been defeated. You know, <laughs> you're probably going to to end up packing up as a result. Yeah, one thing I've done is to uh, like, for example, at a star party. Um, sometimes what I'll do is, uh, not take my telescope out of the warm car, leave it packed away. And I actually wait until, um, you know, and I go around and visit with people, um, look through other people's telescopes, make some, uh, observations there, maybe drink some, some coffee, hang, hang out with uh, old friends and, uh, you know, sometimes sleep. And then, and then what I do is get up later or, or, you know, if I'm staying up, just wait until I kind of feel that dew precipitating out of the air and uh, kind of as, as other people get dewed out and people saying, Oh, you know, it's now, you know, I'm dewed out, but you know, that's it for me. Um, I say, okay, well now that's when I'm going to throw my telescope up. And once that dew is really out of the air or, or mostly out of the air, if you're just putting your telescope up at that point in time, um, then you can get, you know, two or three hours in and you've already done some observing. Now you're going to maybe do more serious observing. And, uh, often that can be like sort of the best, best point in the night. You're not really even getting that much due, uh, on your gear. So that that's sort of another way to kind of handle that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in the summer, I, I typically always wear my fleece lined, um, the kind of like a hiking pant or whatever climbing pant. And I like them because they have lots of pockets. That's always great. And they're, they're very warm. And often what I'll do is because they are so warm and you're trying to keep like your overall body warm. That's one thing I've learned here is 
oftentimes I'll just be observing wearing those and then a sweater and then maybe a vest and a hat. Like hat is, is sort of key, keep your head warm. Um, but then, uh, you know, often I'm pretty good just to have a vest on. And then as that temperature, if it continues to go down, I'll put um, like a lighter winter coat on over the vest. Or if it happens to sort of get really cold quite quickly, I'll just uh, put either a winter coat on over the vest or take the vest off and put the winter coat on one or the other. But I'll typically wear sneakers all summer. <laughs> I like to observe in sneakers. That's kind of my thing. Um, I've definitely had cold feet quite a few times, but I just really like wearing sneakers. So, <laughs> yeah, again, if it's closer to that plus ten range, there's, yeah, I don't have any issue with that. If it's closer to freezing, I probably want something with a little bit more protection. But, um, yeah, you know, I, for me, really, it, once I hit like kind of that zero-ish range uh, in terms of temperature, zero degrees Celsius. I'm, I'm probably dressing the same, no matter what, um, I do have a real heavy duty jacket that I'll bring out for the ultra cold temps, but, yeah. um, above zero degrees, that's when I'm probably going a lot lighter in terms of, yeah. The gear. yeah. Yeah. And once, once we do start getting below zero, either, um, when it's still below zero in the spring or getting below zero, um, pretty frequently in the autumn, usually I get caught out like on a few nights, just wearing sneakers and, uh, get some pretty cold feet and then, uh, transition off to like hiking boots. That's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and I'm pretty good wearing hiking boots for two or three hours down to minus 10 or so. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And now I'm wearing, um, heavier gloves and of course the lined pants and, uh, and I might, you know, be wearing my winter coat, just a regular winter coat. And if, if it seems like it might be a little bit colder, I might uh, throw my vest on, uh, under the winter coat and these winter coats have down, go ahead, Shane. Didn't don't have anything. Okay. I was just going to say that sort of for, for spring and autumn cold, we're talking about zero C to minus 10 C or minus 10 Celsius or 32 F to about uh, 14 F. So that's kind of the range that we're in, which honestly would probably be about winter observing um, for lots, for, for most people, I think probably I'm sort of generalizing here, but I think that's probably going to be winter, winter observing, um, or what most people would consider like real sort of winter observing for, uh, for a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. More than likely for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we kind of just sort of, um, take another level up, especially in the footwear, um, wearing gloves and, uh, like pretty good gloves. And then, um, yeah, it's not, it's not that different. And you might even take this stuff with you when you're going to do summer camping, if there's a chance it could, uh, it could even get just a little bit cold. Cause it's always nice to have extra warm clothes. Now we get on to our, our real winter observing, which, uh, I'm calling anything colder than minus 10. Um, that's kind of where I start to feel like, okay, negative double digits, um, that's, that's a game changer for me. So I'm willing to go camping in a tent and sleep in the ground all night. It's fine down to minus 10 with or without the windshield, anything colder than minus 10. And, um, yeah, like, I feel like that is just really, really cold and, uh, you know, down to minus 40, um, which you and I have done on a few occasions together. Um, and that would be in Fahrenheit 14 F to minus 40 F. So things kind of equal out at a certain temperature, it seems. Yeah. There's a point where they intersect and yeah, right around that minus 40, they're the, they are the same. So how do you observe differently 
in these really cold uh, weather conditions, Shane, like what's different about how you observe or, or what you wear observing? Well, so everything that I mentioned still applies, you know, eat, rest, drink sort of thing. Um, all of my clothing is likely the same. Uh, the difference is that I have a, a pretty heavy duty, like it's a, it's a base camp jacket basically like for, you know, if you were, uh, out in the extremes and it's like an 800 fill down jacket of some kind, and, uh, it is exceptionally warm. Uh, so that is now replacing my usual parka that I would wear. Um, I may employ or bring along some of those little hand warmers, uh, put some hand warmers in the gloves, maybe some in the boots and even some in like inside the jacket inside, uh, uh, like the internal pockets, uh, just to keep some heat there. But what are um, these hand warmers? Not everybody, not everybody will be familiar with these cause they might not be available in other places. Yeah. So there's a couple versions, like there's a disposable one use ones. So you, you get this little packet, you open it. And when it's exposed to air and you shake the ingredients up, uh, it just starts to generate heat and, and they'll stay pretty warm for probably four to five hours. Um, so that's one option. And then the other is you can get, uh, like some, uh, like battery powered ones, um, that will, keep everything warm for you and, and generate heat until the battery goes out. And, uh, those can be, uh, helpful as well. Um, so there's that, um, the other thing, like when you're out and observing and you do get cold, um, if you just, you know, walked away from your telescopes and did say 10 to 20 jumping jacks, um, just generating some of that internal heat with all of that insulation on really does wonders. Um, yeah. like it can keep you going for a long time doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, at these temperatures, it's nice to plan like a warm up place, whether it's a shelter of some kind, like a house or, or, uh, even a vehicle, you know, get into your vehicle and, and, uh, use the heat from that. Um, but then the other thing that really isn't related to any of this gear is changing how you observe, um, in minus, uh, like minus 10 isn't bad, but once you start getting to the minus 20 or 30 degree range, I don't enjoy setting up a telescope or taking it down. I don't enjoy switching eyepieces in and out. Um, it is just too cold for that. And usually what I will do in the really cold temperatures is I'm either a naked eye observer. So I'm just outside looking at the sky or I'm using binoculars because those are just easier to, to use when you're out in the cold. You know, once right. you get them focused, you don't have to mess around. You just point and uh, enjoy what you can see with those. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm really there with you on that. Like I, I actually find like, um, down much below minus minus 10 to minus 20. Um, you know, I can be pretty comfortable. I can just sort of, uh, take it, take another step up, you know, um, you know, probably down to minus minus 15 or so. I'm still just going to my hiking boots, any cold than that. I'm putting on, like, I have like a minus 40 rated pair of boots, but honestly, really, they're really just good into the minus twenties, like, cause minus 40 is extremely cold. And, um, as well, like the, the one technique that I, that I use, it sounds obvious, but it's not, um, you know, in practice anyway, is to make sure that I keep my hands covered as much as possible. So for example, like when you're setting up and tearing down, there's, there's probably always going to be some moments where you need to pull your gloves off, but instead of, um, you know, going out, uh, taking your gloves off and setting up because you can probably go like, I mean, honestly at minus 12 or minus 15 or minus 20, even I can probably go 10 minutes without my gloves on and my hands are going to start to get cold, but I'll be fine. But what happens is, is that you only have so many kicks at the can like that. 
And so then throughout my observing session, the odd time I'm taking my gloves off and then changing it to eyepieces and that. And after doing this for an hour or two, your hands will just not be able to generate heat and, and they will start to get extremely cold and you'll be getting pretty cold by that point too. And, and that can make it really unpleasant. So what I like to do is have my big, I have a really big pair of um, down uh, mitts, right? And having a mitt versus having a glove becomes really important you know, when you get into these cold conditions, because just by having your fingers together, like we all know, like when, when your hands get cold, if you kind of ball them up, that will allow your hands to warm up. So the one thing I learned here is to uh, make sure to transition to a mitt from a glove, uh, you know, once we get, you know, below that, that sort of minus uh, 10 threshold, because that um, design is specific for a reason. It will help keep your hands warm. And by using a long down glove that kind of chokes up way past my wrist, like my down gloves come about a third of the way up my forearm so that, you know, you're not losing that air. And when you stick your hand in, um, they tend to, they tend to retain some of the heat that you've sort of left in that glove or that mid as well. Um, you know, your, your hand is sort of all together. It's easier to ball your hand up. And, you know, once it gets much below minus 20 or so, I'll even put like, like you said, those little hand warmers in that look like really large sugar packets and they kind of have like a charcoaly substance in there. And, and they do, they do help to a certain, uh, a certain extent, you know, like you said, but again, once we get much below minus 20 or so, I find a more of a binocular observer or a very specific target observer. If it's a comet, I'm just going out setting up, looking at that comet or, if it's something else, I'm just going out looking at that one thing, maybe one other thing like the Orion Nebula and then packing it up and heading in. Yeah. And uh, what I'll do too, when it's really cold, um, even if I'm wearing gloves or mitts, whatever it might be, I usually wear like some liner gloves underneath. Um, so they're fairly like tight fitting. They're not bulky, uh, like runner's gloves um, is, is really what they are. And um, what I like about them is, is if you do need to do any sort of I don't know, like uh, kind of work where you, you need a little bit more touch and the bulky gloves are getting in the way. You can take the bulky glove or mitt off. You still mm -hmm. have a little bit of protection because um, if you put your skin on, you know, any kind of metal at, at some of those extreme temperatures, uh, like it's, it's just not good. So, so keeping these little gloves on, uh, does help a little bit and, uh, kind of, it, it allows me to switch eyepieces a little bit easier and, and fiddle around with some finer uh, finer activities like that. So for me, and everybody is a little bit different. You need to kind of track what works for you. So I found that having those, cause you did this and I saw that and I'm like, okay, that seems like a smart and logical thing to do. And so I bought, um, some of those glove liners, but they didn't work for me for whatever reason. Like, I, I don't know, it's cause like, I'm a lot shorter than Shane is people should know this. And I don't know whether it's just, just different phys physiology or Shane's more used to these cold weather conditions or what, but I found like wearing those glove liners actually made my hands colder. I don't know why that is, but it didn't work for me. But, but what worked for me is to get a pair of grip gloves. So you can buy a, um, they're, they're like, um, a, a glove, but it's made out of rubber. It has a rubberized, um, front part on it. And so what I do is, is you can get really small ones. They're, they're heavier than a glove liner. Um, and they're rubberized. And what I do is I try to keep them in a pocket or somewhere warm. They're not really big. And when I'm setting up or tearing down, I have those on, keep the big mitts somewhere warm, or maybe like in my coat or something like that. And if I'm trading off or doing stuff, I'll, I'll just sort of, you know, whip the big gloves off and put these on really quick. 
And by kind of switching back and forth like that, it, it does really help to, uh, to mitigate how cold um, my hands are getting uh, or whatever, but your, your hands are still going to get cold. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, again, it's one of these inevitable things, right? I, you're just sort of, it's like the do um, at some point, the cold will get you no matter what, <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter uh, how you dress. Like even when we've had the warm up stations, what I find is, you know, the first, uh, like the first shift, if you will, I'll be able to stay at the telescope for a couple of hours before I get too cold. You go yeah. warm up for 15 minutes. Well, the second shift now, I won't be able to go two hours. I might be able to do an hour and a half before I'm too cold and then I warm up. And it just gets to the point where you can't stay really warm anymore. And that's the end of the night for me. Yeah. Let's talk about wind chill for a second. I mean, that might mm. uh, be something that some people aren't as familiar with. But uh, when we're talking about the cold, really what we're talking about is the ability of the atmosphere to pull energy out of you. This is very simply what's happening. And when you introduce any kind of wind um, into to the cold uh, weather experience, the, the physiological change that, that we um, experience as humans is that energy is able to get drawn out of us much quicker. So the number that, that I work with is minus 28C, or this is about minus 18F. And once you're past minus 28C, either with or without the wind chill, um, I really think you should consider other plants because that is when things get very cold and, and dangerous. I'm somebody who has experienced um, that kind of frostbite on my nose and, and ears um, where things turn black and you lose large pieces of, of skin and, and flesh. And unfortunately, I've, I've experienced that and uh, it, it, it can't be stressed, um, enough, how painful that experience is, um, and, and would not wish it on anybody. And once you get past minus 28, that's when you're in that danger zone and you will experience what's called frost nip. Um, once you get past those temperatures, no matter who you are or what you're doing, unless you're like literally like wearing a helmet and some sort of, um, heated suit, you're going to be experiencing frost nip and you'll need to be able to figure out ways um, that work for you to mitigate that um, either by getting warm frequently or, or like I said, having, I, I know somebody that has used um, a powered suit to kind of keep air continually pumped in. That's, that's warmed, right? I mean, people have done all kinds of things, but you're really getting into a danger zone. Once, once you get into those, uh, you know, very low minus twenties into the minus thirties and minus forties. Yeah. And, and the, comment about the wind is, is pretty important because, you know, minus 10 with a 25 kilometer an hour wind is probably something I'm not observing in unless I can get out of the wind because the wind is far more efficient at taking that heat out of your body uh, than just a, a, like no wind at all in a cold night. Yeah. Um, so if I come, like, if it's going to be windy, um, uh, a wind break is essential. And if there isn't one, I'm just not going to bother, um, uh, for the comfort factor. And also, um, like I mentioned, I don't know, maybe I think it was just on the last podcast, but if it's windy out, chances are the seeing isn't all that great anyway. So, um, it's just not something I, I typically do. I'll, uh, I'll read a, a book at home instead. Yeah. Like the other morning I was out uh, minus 12 Celsius and it was reasonably, uh, still and calm, even though I had some clouds. Um, so yeah, it was about an hour before I really started feeling any kind of the cold whatsoever. I probably could have been dressed a little warmer, but you know, I, I knew it was going to be okay. And I wasn't that far from home. So 
Um, I was fine. And I've been out down too close to minus 30 without any wind at all and, and have been reasonably comfortable, you know, as long as, as you can kind of get in and out of, uh, you know, of that wind. Um, that's, that's pretty key, but you introduce wind and you're just reducing that. Like, for example, when I lived in Ontario, I didn't realize like it can be, it's, it's pretty windy in Ontario in the, uh, in the winter time. And so when I moved there, people were like, oh yeah, like a lot of people just never bother observing in the winter there because, um, you have the great lakes surrounding Southern Ontario and they always seem to be producing snow and wind and that, even when it's not like we would have a totally clear sky and we'd have snow. It was bizarre um, because the wind was coming off the lakes and it was carrying the, like it was making snow somewhere else and then kind of carrying it, uh, you know, across like the open fields. And so, yeah, you know, it often wouldn't be much colder than minus 10 or minus 13, kind of like what it was the other morning, but I never experienced minus 10 or minus 13 that didn't have like, you know, a 30 or 40 kilometer hour wind or something like that, like whatever it was, it was always just very, very painfully windy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's no, that's no good at all. So, so anyway, tomorrow it's looking like minus 33 now, like they keep adding another degree colder to it every time I turn around. So at first it was going to be like minus 20 or so, which I'm like, okay, that's still good. Like it's not below minus 28. And then now it's five or six degrees colder than that. Still, I might, I might grab the binoculars and, and take a quick run out, um, just to see. But, uh, anyway, we've got a fair bit of snow down it's blowing around. So I might just uh, stay put for a couple of days and then it is supposed to warm up, uh, towards the end of the week. And like I said, you know, if it's warmer than, you know, minus 28 C with the wind, like I find that's, that's okay. You know, as long as it's, uh, you know, if, as long as like, not like minus two and minus 28 C with the wind, then you just have so much wind you can't observe. So, so there are well, some parameters. After, after midnight tonight, it'll be minus 28 C with the wind. The, the wind is dying <laughs> off at midnight, it says. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what tomorrow, uh, what tomorrow looks like when, when I get up, but it's the, uh, it's that 7am it's supposed to dip towards 7am and that could be that could be a little bit chilly. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So yeah, we're getting, we're getting kind of on in this. I hope this, this advice is, uh, is useful to, uh, to some people. And I think though, that, you know, the big, the big lesson I learned when I started observing, and I learned this even before I moved here is, uh, is getting a pair of like those hiking or climbing or shell pants that have that fleece lining. Um, that was a huge game changer for me because, um, you know, like you can get really, like really big ones. And I have one set that I can pull up over a pair of, um, you know, like, like jeans or jogging pants and, and be wearing long underwear, my, you know, my running pants and then pull these on over top. And at that point, your legs and sort of even the top of your boots or shoes or whatever are well insulated and that will keep you really nice and warm. Um, but yeah, going out anywhere, you know, you know, colder than plus 10 degrees Celsius and just wearing jeans, um, or, you know, track pants or whatever is, is going to get you pretty cold fairly quickly, I think. And I didn't realize how much that was limiting, um, my observing as somebody who traditionally, like, especially in the past, um, hasn't really minded the cold that much. I would go observing just in jeans, even in the winter, but I would be getting cold. Right. But my observing partner had the time he'd be fine. I'm like, man, he's like, you got to get a pair of these line pants. Like you're killing yourself here. Just go, go buy a pair of like 
$25 line pan set, uh, you know, at the outlet mall kind of thing. And so I did that and yeah, off to, off to the races. That was a huge game changer. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's all about layers and insulation for the most part. Yeah. But I think, yeah, lined uh, insulated pants, getting uh, some down layers, getting a pair of down mitts. And, uh, you know, I, I think as well, oh, the one thing I want to mention is that, so also once I get much below minus 10, I start wearing a hat that has a fleece lining to it because just a regular wool hat or toque, as you call it, Shane, um, has, you know, it has um, perforations in it and the wind just cuts through it. So even though you have a hat on, um, the wind's going right through and it's, um, you know, impacting like your, your ears, especially, or like your head in general is just radiating heat, um, just through the gaps in the wool. So I wear, um, like a heavier wool hat with a heavier brim to it. Um, so it, it, it's impacted less by that. And then the whole inside is lined with fleece. It took me a long time to find one. Um, I had one years ago and then after I moved out here and was getting cold years again, I was like, okay, I got to find another one of these. And so I did find this eventually. Um, but having a fleece lined hat is also, uh, is also a huge game changer for keeping your head and, and ears warm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, um, the headwear sometimes is overlooked and, uh, you know, you lose a lot of heat there, so it's good to keep the old head warm. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, anything else uh, to add to this episode on staying warm when it's cold out? No, that is it for me. Okay, perfect. Well, um, before we go, just going to say that, um, you know, down, down is your friend and also having some place to get warm. A lot of um, astronomy clubs uh, have, have warm rooms and that sort of thing. I'm kind of setting um, a cabin up as, as a bit of a warm room to stay warm and I've used that a few times already. Works pretty good. Um, and with that, we'll say thanks, Shane, and thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. And we're always excited to observe or to receive observing reports uh, from listeners. I always enjoy hearing from people. Thanks so much. And thanks to Chef Ozzy for his um, suggestion for making a show out of this. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.